A reading from the Gospel of Luke. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Luke 1, 26, verse 45. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him, Je and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of the of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to and Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child, of, the child to be born will be, will be called Holy, and the Son of God. And behold, your, your, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month, and with her, who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my, own, in, in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there will be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord, the gospel of the Lord. Father in heaven, uh, we have just uh, confessed a creed and we have just heard uh, two readings, which really one long reading, uh, that all together uh, speak of your intervention, you breaking into this world. Um, these are not stories of, of us getting it together from the bottom up, but it's of you coming down, uh, engaging us here, and making promises that are more glorious than our capacity to imagine or desire. Will you keep intervening? And will you intervene right now by your Holy Spirit? Will you speak to each one of us? Will you get our attention, will you bring us to a place uh, of the joy of surrender to Jesus Christ? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you would uh, turn back to those two readings, they're really just one long reading. We are uh, beginning a series in the uh, Gospel of Luke, and so we're going to have some big readings, uh, which is which is fantastic. But let me begin by pointing something out about the Bible that um, often is missed. Um, here it is: the Bible uh, is a book full of joy. Is, is that one of the things that comes to your mind when you think about the Bible? Um, now, it's not just joy. I mean, if you read the Bible, it, there's a lot of sad stuff in the Bible. There's profound lament. There's there's tragedy, uh, there's 
uh, uh, some passages of Scripture are profoundly daunting. Uh, all of it is challenging. The Bible's a complex book, just, you know, like reality. But along with that, there is a profound joy. And the reason I'm saying that is as we're starting this uh, series in the Gospel of Luke, um, the Gospel of Luke is one of the four ancient accounts of Jesus' life, um, as we start it in this reading, these two readings, which are really one reading, you can see that it just kind of pulses with joy. And there's something unexpected about this joy. Now, let me see what I mean. Um, the scene opens, and uh, verse 5, in the first reading, uh, we find out that Herod is the king of Judah. Now, if you know anything about Herod, if you know that Herod is the king, and as a reader, you read that, and, and it's going to provoke a response of, oh no, everything is going to be terrible. Because uh, Herod was a remarkably uh, violent, narcissistic, kind of megalomaniac, terrible guy. And Herod's reign was just full of terror. However, despite that, Luke is going to tell us a story about a subversive message that spreads joy that not even Herod can cancel. And you can see the joy in, for instance, the angel. You notice the angel, his name's Gabriel. He delivers two messages. And he gives one message to a really high-status priest named Zechariah. And then he gives a message to a socially low-status woman called Mary. And in both cases, Gabriel can hardly restrain his joy. He comes to Zechariah and he says, your wife is going to have a son. You're going to have great joy and gladness. And he says, the joy isn't going to stop with you because through this son, well, later on we find out it's John the Baptist, through your son, Zechariah, God is going to spread joy to all kinds of people. Verse 14. In the second reading, Gabriel goes to Mary and he says, you're going to have a son. And again, Gabriel can hardly contain his joy. If you look at verse 20. Eight, in the second reading, he says, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And the word greeting is a form of the word for joy. Rejoice! And you sort of get the sense that Gabriel is really just, just over the top, almost privileged, probably greatly privileged, uh, to be able to bear this message. It's full of joy. And so my question today is, uh, what's behind all this joy? Because the joy that Luke describes is a joy that runs throughout the entirety of his book, and it's a joy that's meant to run through the Christian life, and I want to know, uh, what is it and how do we get some? So, basically, those are the questions. Where does the joy come from? What's the source? And how do we receive it? First of all, where does the joy come from? Um, and you can get an insight into the joy of this passage by contrasting Zechariah with his wife, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is quick to joy, uh, and she understands its source. She exemplifies it. Whereas her husband, Zechariah, it takes him about nine months to catch up. Um, let me show you what I mean. Take, the scene opens, and this is in the first reading. Zechariah is having a really big day at the office. 
Um, so he's a priest, and uh, this, is a, this is his big day to burn incense in the temple. Um, and it, this was not an everyday thing for Zechariah. It was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Uh, so uh, if, if you know anything, you don't need to, but if you know anything about the way the temple was set up, there was the Holy of Holies. That's not where he is, but he's just outside the door. And many priests never got the uh, opportunity to burn incense like Zechariah is doing here. And if you did get that opportunity, you only got to do it once in your entire life. So this is a big day at the office. And he's there, he's in the temple, he's not in the Holy of Holies, but he's right outside the door. It, you know, he's, he's in the room where it happens. And then it happens. He, he sees an angel. And Zechariah is understandably just scared to death. And so uh, Gabriel calms him down, does some breathing exercises, something like that. And, and, then he, and then he gives the message. And the message is, a really, good, is really good news. The angel says, uh, your wife Elizabeth is, is going to have a baby. Now, Zechariah and his wife had been married for a long, long time, and they had never had a child. And in that culture and in that day, uh, a marriage that bears no children was viewed as a kind of failure. And so for Elizabeth, and to a lesser extent for Zechariah, not having a child was, well, the way Elizabeth describes it, is, is it, it was a reproach upon her. It was dishonor upon her. It, it was something that caused terrible shame. But now, says the angel, all that's going to change. But the angel says, it's not just that, but wait, there's more. The angel says that this child is going to have a remarkable mission. Uh, verse 16, the angel says that this child will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord, your God, to, to the Lord their God. Now, it's impossible to overstate what a big deal that is. Here's why. If you read uh, the Hebrew scriptures, what, what we call the Old Testament, you'll notice pretty quickly that it's a big story about uh, the Lord, about God, and, and his people, Israel. The trouble is that if you look at the big story, it's also very clear that the relationship between God and Israel is it's complicated. Because on the one hand, the whole story uh, highlights, all of the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament highlights God's kindness and his kingship. And you can see God's kindness and his kingship in, in Israel's origin story. So you remember uh, uh, in Genesis you've got Abraham and Sarah. Uh, they have no children and they're really, really old. Maybe that sounds familiar. And yet, despite all that, God in his great kindness promises them a child and, and promises that through that child, God's going to establish a family that's going to bless all the families of the world. And in that promise, God shows his remarkable kindness. But he also shows his kingship, meaning his authority and his power, because he actually follows through on that promise and the kid is born and the family begins to grow. And throughout the rest of Israel's history, the big story of the Old Testament, God shows his, his kindness and his kingship by making promises and then demonstrating the power and the authority to actually pull it off. And that happens count, countless times over. 
However, like I said, the relationship between God and Israel in the Old Testament is, putting it mildly, complicated. Why? It's complicated because Israel habitually distrusts God. Repeatedly, Israel's heart is turned away from God. God, in his kindness, makes promises. God, in his kingship, fulfills those promises. But Israel, in their distrust, turns away from God, holds him at bay, is continually asking the question they asked just moments after the Red Sea. They say, God's done these things, but can I trust him for the next thing? I'm not so sure. Prove it, God. And whenever Israel wants God to prove it, it's a way of them uh, distrusting God and retaining some control for themselves. And so, towards the end of the Old Testament, God, in his kindness, makes a new promise. And the new promise is that one day, God's going to intervene in a new way, and God's going to break into history, and among the many things that God's going to do, God's going to turn the hearts of his people back to them, so that instead of a, a, a habit of distrust and holding God at arm's distance until he proves himself, because yeah, he's done things in the past, but I can't, prom I can't trust him for the future, instead of doing that, they're going to be open-handed, and they're going to lean towards God. Now, keep all that in your mind and go back to Zechariah, because the angel's message to Zechariah is that Zechariah's son is going to be part of the rollout of the new plan. God's going to use Zechariah's son, ends up John the Baptist, to turn the hearts of Israel back to God. And it's impossible to overstate the significance of that promise. But it is also impossible to overstate the irony of Zechariah's response. Verse 18, Zechariah says, eh, how do I know? I'm old. My wife's old. We can't have kids. And at first, that sounds really, re uh, you know, just reasonable, right? However, remember, Remember the pattern from the Old Testament. Israel has a tendency to distrust God. Sure, God has done things in the past. Sure, God has uh, 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 generated Israel through Abraham and Sarah who couldn't have a kid, and God in his kindness and his kingship brought a child forth and created the family through miracle. Sure, God has rescued us through the Red Sea, but again and again, Israel asks the question, can I trust God for the next promise? I'm not sure I can prove it. And it's the outward expression of a heart turned away. And Zechariah knew all these stories. Zechariah knew about God's kindness and his kingship. And Zechariah knew how God had promised to roll out a new plan where the hearts of Israel would turn back to God. And almost undoubtedly, Zechariah had prayed that that promise might be kept within the course of his own lifetime. He knew all that. And plus, he's talking to an angel, which you would think. But anyways... So despite all of his knowledge about the Bible, despite being confronted by an angel, he still distrusts God's kindness and kingship. He holds him at bay. His heart 
is subtly turned away, he retains a little bit of control and he says, prove it. And that ends up being the obstacle to Zechariah's joy. And to explain what I mean by that, consider Elizabeth. Several months later, lo and behold, um, she's expecting a baby. And verse 24, it says this, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden. By the way, we don't know why. Verse 25, she said this, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people. Now remember, we're trying to figure out the source of her joy. And I'm sure uh, Elizabeth was delighted at being a mother, but her joy is bigger than just motherhood here. Look back at the passage. Can you see how her heart is inclined or turned towards the Lord? What I mean is that Elizabeth is captivated fundamentally by the Lord, not fundamentally by her son. She's captivated by the Lord's kindness and kingship. You can see her captivation by God's kindness when she says that the Lord looked upon her. And what that means is that the Lord noticed her, noticed her particularly, and that she felt herself to be under his affection. And she's also captivated by his kingship. The Lord is powerful enough and full of authority sufficient to take away her reproach. Now, I highlight Elizabeth because she's a window into Christian joy. Where does Christian joy come from? True Christian joy comes from a heart that's turned towards the Lord, a heart that is captivated by the Lord's kindness and kingship. Elizabeth's heart is not primarily centered on self. Her heart is not disposed to distrust in that moment. She's centered upon the Lord. And I think this also explains even Gabriel's joy, the angel. Why is the angel so excited? Because he clearly is. He, just like Elizabeth, he is captivated by the Lord's kindness, the Lord's willingness to do good to his people. And Gabriel is captivated by the Lord's kingship, his power, his authority that gets it all done. But I think this also explains Zechariah's lack of joy. He's not able to trust God's kindness and God's kingship. And in a remarkable way, he needs someone to turn his heart towards the Lord. He needs the grace that God is going to release through the ministry of his son. Now pause. Emmanuel, uh, Christian joy is directly correlated to how captivated we are by God's kindness and kingship. And Christian growth is all about God moving us from where Zechariah started. How can I really trust God? Sure, he's done this in the past, but can I trust him for the next? He wants to take us from there to where Elizabeth ended. Look and see what God has done. That's the journey of faith. It's the journey of joy. How do we get there? How do we receive that joy? That's the second question. Well, turn over to Mary. Because if Zechariah is where a lot of us start, and if Elizabeth is where we want to get to, then Mary adds something that we need to see. Mary teaches us that the path to joy runs through 
humble consent. Consent to the Lord's promises. Consent to the Lord's kindness and kingship. I'll explain what I mean. Several months later, uh, Gabriel shows up again. Uh, and this time, he doesn't go to the temple. He doesn't go to the priest. He doesn't go to a high-status person. He goes to Nazareth, which is next door to nowhere. And he goes to a, a young woman with almost no social stand, standing. But when Gabriel speaks to Mary, he speaks to her as if her dignity transcends all royalty. And he announces a promise, and it's a promise that dwarfs the promise he gave to Zechariah. Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to have a son, and despite the fact that she's a virgin, she's going to have a son, and her son, Jesus, will be God's son. And he will be, we find out later, the, the incarnation of God himself. He will end up being the embodiment of God's kindness and God's kingship. And he will serve as God's king forever, verse 33. And through him, God's kindness will be offered to the world. It's a huge promise. And like Zechariah, Mary asks a question, verse 34. But notice the difference. Mary asks, how will this be since I'm a virgin? Now, that's different. Sounds similar. It's different from Zachariah's question. Zachariah's question is, how can I trust this message? How can I know this is true? There's an implication of prove it to me. Mary's question is, I trust the message. Please give me the details. And then comes the key. Mary gives her consent. Verse 38, Behold, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be unto me according to your will. Emmanuel, that's what it looks like to have your heart turned towards the Lord. Mary heard the message of the angel, and it was an inconceivable kindness in how in the world would God choose her amongst all. It's an unanswerable question, but it's a question big with the kindness of God. And it was a message of inconceivable power and authority. How in the world can a virgin have a son? But if it's true, it's also a message of inconceivable joy. And it seems that Mary's heart was allured by God's kindness to surrender and consent to his kingship. And that, Emmanuel, is the journey of faith. That is the journey of joy. And that's where God wants to take us, every one of us. Real joy is like Elizabeth when we are captivated by God's kindness and kingship. The trouble is that most of us are more like Zechariah. We're captivated by what we can see, by what we can control. We want to hold on to a bit of control, and we distrust that we can, we're not sure we can trust God for the future, despite the fact that God has been faithful in the past, and we want to have a kind of negotiated settlement. But as long as we remain like Zechariah, our joy will be stunted and continually disrupted. So what do we do? Well, everything in this story is about God's kindness and kingship. 
that is to say, the focus is on what God does, not so much what we do. And so the question is less, what do we do? And more, what do we need God to do in us? And the answer to that question is that we need God to do in us what God did in Zechariah. So, uh, Zechariah says, prove it, angel. And Gabriel apparently is not used to being spoken to in that manner. Um, did you catch that? He's like, do you know who I am? Um, and, and Zechariah is struck mute. He's silent for months, which is like really rough on a priest. Um, it was God's kindness. Why? Because God is humbling Zechariah. God is decentering Zechariah so that God can take center stage. And it worked. Over the next nine months, uh, Zechariah couldn't speak, but what he could do is Zechariah could spend time watching God's kindness and God's kingship displayed in as his son grew in his wife's womb. And Zechariah could spend that time talking not at all, but listening to his wife rejoice before God and learning from her joy. And over time, God allured Zechariah with his kindness so that, like Mary, he could consent to God's kingship. And we know that because approximately nine months later, the first words that came from his lips were these, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited his people and set them free. And we'll look at that next week. But the point is, this is where Jesus wants to take us. And I want to remind you that Jesus wants to lead us to joy. Don't ever forget that. And Jesus leads us to joy... He leads us on the path he led Zechariah on, or the path that Zechariah had to take, by taking us to the cross. Now, that might sound surprising, but it's true, because when you, when you look at Jesus' suffering, and when you look at Jesus' death, and when you look at Jesus' cross, you find yourself humbled and then exalted to joy. You find yourself humbled because you see the full extent of God's kindness. Jesus gave his life so that you and I could be reconciled to God, and you will never find a greater kindness than that. And like Zechariah, our words fail before the kindness of God. You've got to be humbled down at the foot of the cross. It's the only path to joy. But then... That's not the end, because like Mary, the kindness of God displayed at the cross allures us, allures us to consent, so that looking at the cross, we find a God in whom we can place our trust, and we find our hearts turning towards Jesus, and we want to say something like this, Jesus, there is no kinder king than you, so will you now be the central authority in my life? And will you take authority in those parts of my life that I really don't want to surrender to you? I want to be one who, like Mary, can say, whatever it is that you're saying to me, may it be unto me as you have said. And then as you surrender your consent to Christ, 
you will find that the center of your life has shifted. You will find that you're no longer the center. You will find that your circumstances are not the center. You will find that your past is not the center and your future is not the center. Your hopes and ambitions is not the center, nor are your fears the center, but you will find that Jesus Christ is the center. And his kindness and his kingship becomes the animating center of your life. And in that moment, you will taste a joy that it will take all eternity to fully exhaust. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.